Hello and welcome to Words in a Time of Lockdown, a podcast from the writer's block Cornwall, exploring creativity and creative writing in a time of change. The writer's block is the creative writing centre for Cornwall and I'm Polly Roberts, a writer and member of the writer's block team. In today's podcast, I'm speaking with the wonderful Anna Maria Murphy. Anna has written plays for Nehi Theatre, radio plays for the BBC, and created multiple community arts, storytelling and writing projects. She was born in Cornwall and continues to live here today, and it often features in her work. Anna is also our artistic director and plays a huge part in the creativity and passion that fuel our unique approach to working with words. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Anna, and welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. It's, yeah, kind of feels like we should have had you along right at the beginning. Um, So for everyone out there, Anna is our artistic director. And I was wondering, actually, Anna, could you tell me when you did get involved with the writer's block of the Story Republic? Um. Well, that's a good question. Well, we <laughs> I, I used to do, uh, as you probably know, I, I worked with Amanda for many years in um, in Nehigh Theatre and right. when she was the general manager and we did a lot of community projects together, um, one of which was called The Shop of Stories, where we, where we took over... Um, an empty shop in Penzance and an old bank in Falmouth and an old shop in Redruth. And we had, yeah, the currency was stories and objects. And, and actually lots of projects have grown from that. So when Amanda left Nehigh, she um, started Kerno Education Arts Partnership. And I used to do lot of different projects with them. And then... Amanda being the adventurous spirit that she is, um, it, this is when all the, the sort of funding for Keeps started. She either said we f- we fold or we do something bold and new. And that's where we came up with the idea of uh, the writer's block right. and the story republic. It started as the story republic, I think. Um, and... Uh, yeah so I don't know how many years ago it is now <laughs> um, it was when we were offered it must be sort of must be seven or eight right or even longer but um when we were offered that kind of strange 70s block in in Paul College uh, it seemed yeah that's where the kind of writer's block play on words came from but yeah and that was the birth of that how, what did you think when you first saw that strange office block how, how did you imagine something creative from that well because yeah, we'd run some we'd run or um we'd had the big hall next to it where we'd done those amazing installations which were bought in and then actually that uh yeah we wanted we wanted a space that we could control um and make that very unprepossessing those uh, rooms uh, we've always worked with artists and artifacts as part of kind of writing um yeah. and community arts and we got um the marvelous bill mitchell uh 
who is an amazing theatre director and designer, mm. to come and help us reimagine that space. And we very much worked with him and artists and writers to design that space, kind of with advice from teachers. Yeah, and right. I, yeah, very proud of that space, which we've yeah. now lost, but something else will come. Absolutely, and it will it will be just as good, if not better coming from the present place that it's at now but yeah it could be nothing without that initial kind of vision that you guys had and yeah and really I know for myself coming to it afresh I just couldn't quite believe where that vision could come from and I think that's where everybody that has entered the space kind of feels it's it's so like being transported into a different place and and I love this idea that you had of bringing everybody together the community the artists the theatre makers but where where did that come from that kind of approach to things I think um well when we when we were doing the community you know the community arts side of Nehi that the shop of the so the shop of stories the first one was in Penzance and the idea was is that the the shelves were full of um, artists made objects, which um, some of us writers wrote stories to go with, and the other way round. So we gave some of the artists stories, and they made artifacts. Right. And then we had counters of words where you could buy an ounce of words, you know, like foreign <laughs> sunsets or um, um, love words and so when the audience came in the performers were the shopkeepers right and they so an audience could pick an object and then that shopkeeper would be the storyteller and tell them the story so uh so a lot of projects grew from that and in a way the writer's block did um we um myself and alice king did that first right um shop of stories so We've always, you know, and Nehi is a collection, was a collection of visual artists, designers, musicians, yeah. writers, performers. So we've all we've used all of that kill that toolkit came into um the writer's block. And it and it was really fitting that Bill Mitchell helped us realise it because he um he was artistic director of Nehi for many right. years and encouraged those those sort of installation um and a lot of us and a lot if you go to Bill's attic you can see where a lot of influences have come from Mm. um, from his attic and his his way of working and objects we all we all feed into each other I think yeah it really does feel like that doesn't it it's it's all really symbiotic and and it's just created something that you couldn't have ever foreseen really one person individually but but I do get this feeling often that there was this heyday in Cornwall of all of these creative projects kind of being birthed at the same time. Did it feel like that at the time? Yeah, no, it, it it did absolutely. Um, there was a lot of so um, a lot. Um, so Sue Hill, who was Bill's part partner, yeah. worked with Nehi and her and I ran a lot of the community arts projects with Alice and and Alice and Sue had both worked for a company called Welfare State International and I went on a summer school um, 
to learn, you know, to learn some of their methods of community engagement. Um, they were, uh, and that's where all the kind of lantern making, uh, steep uh, street possessions processions came from that that we bought to Cornwall, me, Sue, right. and Alice, I think, which grew into Tom Bocock's Eve, which then grew into City of Lights and the Galawan Festival. And uh yeah, so those those skills learnt from elsewhere. Right. We all brought back to Cornwall and me going on that summer school really made me see the possibility of that kind of work and that way of engaging in the rich stories that already are in Cornwall and traditions, but bringing something new to them. And, yeah, it makes me very proud when I see the Galown Festival still happening and the City of Lights and uh, all came from that those early days of us doing community arts in Nehigh and Welfare State. Uh, yeah, it's a big melting pot. Yeah. <laughs> and Cornwall, also a lot of... A lot of people I knew had, had, you know, gone away to art school, ended up coming back to Cornwall. Yeah. Um, because actually Cornwall, the, the art scene is very cutting edge. It's not parochial yeah. and all about kind of picture, but, you know, there's some really sort of cutting edge contemporary kind of visual arts and theatre and music down here. And we're a small pool, so we work with each other. Yes, and actually, that really suddenly makes me think that melting pot is almost what makes it so unique in its yeah. ways and what comes out of it. Because because of that small pool, everybody really gathers together and then something completely different comes out between Absolutely. It. I wonder whether you felt like that was always the case in Cornwall, that it kind of had that rich art scene. It, I think it, it did, but it was... Um you know the a quite a classical well no that's not true actually there was the sort of you know the Stanhope Forbes and the Wilhelmina Barnes Graham but then there was the sort of you know the say Ives and the Newland School really contemporary that the kind of visual arts and that there's just always been a, a link I think between and and a lot of a lot, you know, Dylan Thomas was inspired to write bits of Milk Wood when he was down in Mausel right. on, a, on a bit of a honeymoon. Um, so artists and writers have always come to Cornwall. So there's always there's always been that kind of that fizz. But I think you're right. There was like a real heyday, um, and there was, you know, there was much more. There was a, a funding pot called. called uh, creative partnerships, right? Which actually, it, 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 you know, it it kind of stopped, but actually, it did leave a really brilliant legacy of yeah. of artists and writers working in schools, which uh, Keep was a huge part of, and I think that's had a tremendous influence. Um, yeah, it, it gave rise to a lot of uh, really interesting projects, which which have been reinvented I think so yeah. yeah and I guess the amazing thing about those projects is they've then brought in artists and writers based in Cornwall who've then gone on to continue creating art down here so it kind of keep the legacy keeps on rolling I guess yeah I mean it's very hard to make your living just by 
you know, just by recreate, you, you have to have many strings to your bows, which many yeah. people do. Um, so, you know, to be able to teach or run workshops or collaborate with others has, has been necessary to survive, I think, Dan. Yeah. If you want to live here, you have to do a bit of everything, as you probably know. I absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, that, so you have many strings to your bow in terms of your creative outlets. You You write in multiple formats, but did you always write? I, yes, I, I mean, I, you know, when I went to college, I trained to be a teacher because I didn't know that you could go and do something creative, like a creative writing course. Um, I, you know, I'm a child of the 50s. And when I was at Polpera Primary School, when, when you go to secondary school, you get a, a careers advisor. And if you were a girl, it was usually secretary or air hostess wow. were the things that you were kind of advised that you could be. Um, <laughs> but I was always a bit of a secret writer. Right. And, you know, didn't really, because I it, it was the, the thing that I really wanted to do. And I thought, what if I'm rubbish at it? Yeah. So it, I never aired any of it. So I did lots of other things instead, including being you know I've been a care assistant and taught English as a foreign language and traveled the world for three years and then ended up knee high in the knee high theater and education um a, a part of the company and and now, now I don't know how because I never really I've never trained to be an actress I don't didn't think I was that great at it to tell the truth but I got my first writing job with Nehi because I was supposed to play a wild animal in a in a in a site-specific thing called uh, wild walks yeah and I was rubbish at it so I wrote myself apart <laughs> as as Beryl who was a kind of shopper lost in the woods but this uh, Bill Mitchell directed them and then, and then Bill actually kept asking me to write other bits, and and um, yes, and I it all stemmed from there really. Wow. Um, but I always wrote as a child and a young woman, but never, no, ne- they never saw the light of day. Right. Yeah. But I was, you know, I was lucky enough. I often think, you know, at Paul Perra Primary School, our headmaster used to read us Charles Causley poems mm. and I remember him reading Timothy Winters and it kind of blew my mind that that mm. could be a poem and then when I went to secondary school in Penzance I failed the 11 plus but we had a an English teacher called Taffy Owens who obviously saw something in me and he gave me a copy of Under Milk Wood and it and again that but it blew my mind to what writing could be. And right. so those two teachers, in fact, when I got my first Radio 4 commission, I wrote to Mr Owens, Taffy Owens, and said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, you know, I'm sure I wouldn't have been a writer, which is true, I think. Wow. So I, you know, that's why I believe so much in the writer's block and the work that that we do because I think yeah. it can be transformative writing. Yeah. And, yeah. I was going to ask you that about what, what made you want to share writing as a tool with others. And I, I guess that's it. it for you. 
you've had these moments where everything changed because of someone sharing yeah. writing with you. Yeah, and I, I also remember, you know, again, growing up in this tiny fishing village in Cornwall where none of us, nobody had a telly, yeah. but we were listening to, I was listening to the radio, must have been about 10, and Roald Dahl was on being interviewed about his writer's shed. Yeah, and um, and he said about all his characters were based on people he grew, he knew when he was growing up, even the animal characters. And I thought, oh wow, that's amazing, and that that really stuck with me. And I a lot of my stories are based on things are based on truth, and I fictionalize them, I suppose. But um, so there are those, you know, you can I'm sure you can as a writer plot those revel revelatory moments where you think yeah they they sort of stick with you um absolutely yeah Yeah, no I mean I definitely in a similar vein it's a couple of teachers along the way who who just caught on to the fact that I loved writing and and ran with it and like you say either shared literature with me or just encouraged me to write something for any occasion that they could come up with and yeah I think if it weren't for them I wouldn't have kept on going but it's it's interesting trying to think of that thing whatever it is that's got sparked in you in the first place it's really hard to kind of put your finger on what what is it that means the words really got inside you yeah and they they also that's the other really interesting thing is that um both uh, both my head teacher at Paul Perrow and Mr Owens were brilliant at reading you know, like reading poetry or passages out. And and that, um, yeah, I can still hear their voices reading right. these, reading these, um, those pieces of work. And so mm. that is, you know, that, that's what's so great about our story Republicans. It's not, not I mean, interestingly, they, we, we do a lot of Charles Causley, also, when they read young people's work out or children's work out and make it sound brilliant, mm. that is such a that is such a lift, I think. For, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess a lot of the writing work that you have done has been to be shared through through being spoken out, whether that's yeah. in yeah, audio plays or performances or storytelling. And it's it's really interesting because often I wonder what is it that makes me want to share my work? Why is it that I don't just write like you were saying when you were younger in those private little diaries but you've kind of hit on a value you saw or experienced yourself just of hearing it said aloud no absolutely I mean in the end you know I I feel this isn't you know this I think there's only so much you can write about yourself in a diary and then it becomes a little bit I think if if you want to write then you you must want an audience to mm. hear it because that brings it alive mm. or to read it you know um otherwise it's it if it doesn't yeah if it isn't shared it doesn't live mm. and also you don't know whether it's any good or not <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. it it's yeah you have yeah i think if you're yeah, it doesn't matter who the audience is, or that if, or that you ever become famous, or but if it, it lives in front of a, an audience, I think, yeah. I think, or or somebody reads it. Um, otherwise, it's just diary writing, isn't it? Or 
yeah. scribbling that nobody sees. That word community is kind of coming back to me. They're thinking about that symbiotic relationship you were saying about all of the artists having with one another, feeding into each other. And um, I'm just thinking that both all of your work has often involved, yeah, sharing your own work to be spoken out loud and then also encouraging and teaching others how to find the tools to then share it themselves. So there's kind of the cyclical nature of yeah. allowing everybody to come together and share their stories together. Yeah. No, I hope I hope so. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, good. So I, I wondered, did you always live in Cornwall other than these three years of travelling away? Because uh, So you've returned to a village that you were in when you were quite young, is that right? No, no, I, I was born in Polpero, right. which is a tiny fishing village the other end of Cornwall near near Lou and um and you know it was an extraordinary place to grow up because there was the you can't there's no cars there you can't get cars down there really and so we lived on the street um and then me my mum and my brother moved to Penzance when I was 11 but uh my dad still lived down there so right. yeah and then I, I went away to college to London and went traveling around the world for which only meant to be six months but was three years and then I think I fell in love and ended up staying here when I was just about to go to Italy so I have ended up back here um you know and brought my daughter up here but um yeah gosh so yeah there was actually this all of this stuff calling from outside but somehow in the end you got called back here. <laughs> yeah. And I did, you know, I I travelled the world for three years as a young person, totally naive. And I did lots of writing then in old notebooks and um and I love going to I love my my great joy is sitting in a foreign city in a cafe yes. with a notebook would be my is oh my, my great joy in life. Yeah, I miss that so when much. When we could travel or or even going to another town in Cornwall anywhere. Yeah. Where I can sit in a cafe with a notebook is um one of my greatest pleasures, even if it's a load of old rubbish that I'm writing. But yeah. That was something I wanted to ask you actually was what what is that gets you writing? And you mentioned about hearing Roldar talking about using people he knew and, and it putting that into the writing and and so, yeah, is it kind of watching people and stories unfold around you that start stemming yeah. the writing? Yeah. I, I mean, I despair of myself because I'm so undisciplined, Polly. <laughs> and other writers, they get in there, you know, at their desk at nine o'clock and they write till four o'clock. And I am rubbish at that. And it's almost like I need a purpose mm. to write it, 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 or commission. It isn't necessarily to do with the money, it's to do with being asked to do something and I mean one of my great privileges has been you know the rambles project that I did with Lehigh where I was you know it was Emma and Emma Rice and Mike at the time it was Lehigh's 30th anniversary and they said to myself and Steve Tanner because we're a long time artist in the company you know we're gonna we want to give you a little bit of money to do anything you like 
um, just to celebrate 30 years. It doesn't have to be a play or even anyone see it, but just to give you... Uh, anyway, I, I ended up doing this series of walks where I'd stay wow. overnight in places and walk up just with my notebook. Right. Um, and sometimes had guides with me um, from people who lived there. Sometimes I'd be on my own. Sometimes, you know, I'd have 10 people with me. But that that really caught people's imagination. And I, I did it for sort of seven or eight years. Wow. Doing that, the act of walking. Um, my only rule was not to get in a car. So sometimes I'd have to catch a local bus, you know, that that went once a day from a tiny, because it was too far for me to get to the next place. But that has been such a a privilege, you know, mm. and and I, you know, I but, but also did it in other cities as part of kind of a wrap wrap around activities where Nehi was doing a show like Leeds right. and Liverpool and Bogota got sent to Bogota just being bearing witness and and the Calais you know the Calais jungles we went some of us went as a theatre company you know we I wasn't there doing a rambles project but I we were there to volunteer but but um I you know it's about sometimes it's about bearing witness yeah to a place or events and I think I think poetry particularly can do that really well, very yeah. viscerally. Yeah, yeah. So it's been that has been so fabulous. What an absolute joy that has been as a job, you know, to to be walking and collecting stories from people and then reinventing them and telling them back. But not it's not oral history, it's it's something else, I think. Um yeah. So that has been like massive in 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 this in this last seven or eight years to yeah. my writing so it's this real thing of of well you mentioned the word purpose so it's that needing a purpose both in the form of kind of structure of a commission or a deadline but also I'm getting the sense of a bigger meaning of the word purpose as in actually feeling like well you, you said bear witness that you're bearing witness to something important and doing doing something valuable well I hope so I think I think I describe it as the ordinary extraordinary in that the people you know I'm not saving lives but I I think what's what I find really humbling and moving is like when when we've told the stories back either in a performance or a film or a story app is people I can't believe that you'd want to tell yeah bits fragments of their lives because they don't think they're yeah anything whereas I think they're extraordinary some of the things people tell me um and I'm very pleased because um actually keep is is going to host all those ramble stories and the films that because Nehi is no longer um and and some of them are written those uh, stories are written by young people who'd walk we did lots of projects where other people would walk with me and they'd write stories and wow. yeah so that has been like huge in the in this last sort of 10 years I think really yeah it's amazing and I mean again that cyclical nature is such a part of it isn't it it's yes okay you're telling someone else's story but then 
there's another retelling in there that's coming yeah. from you and then it just keeps on feeding and and that rhythm that I'm kind of feeling as I'm saying this I guess naturally lends itself to walking and to rambling and well now I'm thinking of double meaning of rambling too like which I guess was part no, of your absolutely. intention in the title but yeah well we well, did you know that we've we've kind of done similar things with um with the writer's block and the story you know we went and did the Lou and Liscard and Polpero yes things which are really a bit like my rambles but and then you know Olivia and Keith and Joe and uh, Joe and wrote great postcard stories and the postcards were delivered to the you know and then yeah in the random acts we did some clay stories so that model I mean it just works so why yeah. not why not do it you know walking around a place meeting people collecting little fragments yeah. turning them into you know a postcard or a or a or a, or a film or a performance it's just a lovely model you could do it forever and you would still get fresh new stories yeah. There's endless material everywhere isn't there I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Why why search so hard to try and invent something new when there is just literally stories unfolding all around you all yeah. the time? Mm. I wonder, um, how do you manage to keep at the writing then? So obviously it sounds like you find it easier to get into the flow if you're away traveling somewhere or walking or moving. But I know you mentioned Roald Dahl's little garden writing shed too, and I know that you have one of your own. I do. I mean, I love my shed, uh, but I, it it's kind of a mess at the moment because of all my projects I've been doing. So I need, yeah, I need to get in there and clear it. I often go to the Morab Library, right. um, the private library in Penzance, which is like one of the best, you know, if that ever closed, I think my world would be shattered. Mm. And they have beautiful rooms and writing desks. So that's a really good because I go in there at 10 get a double espresso and after I've stared at the fantastic books for a while I do actually get down yeah I need to go somewhere yeah. else even though I've got my writing shed um yeah you know I'm working on a show with uh, musicians Bagus de Gaulle I love working with musicians and we've done this will be our fourth show together so um there's something about words and music and the melding of them and storytelling that I love so yeah is that where a lot of this kind of urge to write comes from as well is is when there's multiple art forms coming together that you yeah. feel an inspiration like that I, I realize that I'm never gonna be one of those writers that sits in a a garret I I need projects and other people mm, mm. I've decided I I and I'll never write a novel I can't I can't understand how people can write a novel um, but then they can't understand how I can write a short story. So it's interesting, isn't it? That that <laughs> yeah. comes quite easily to me, but to some people that's really hard. And I just can't imagine how anyone can write a novel. I, I find it fascinating as well how we're all drawn to different formats for some reason. And Do you know which form you're going to write in each time? Or, yeah, how do you decide? It's usually short stories, you know, right. very short um, but I, you know, I write for theatre. So with with Knee High or and lots of other companies, it's been very much devised. So they don't, they don't, it, you know, a scripted pl play doesn't 
turn up on the first day of rehearsal. It's often in it's often in poetry or monologues or song because right. you know, when I first started working with Nehi it was outdoors. So lots of, you know, Noel Noel Cower doesn't necessarily work out that that very intimate dialogue isn't necessarily great for outdoor theatre. It needs sure. to be bold and like Shakespeare, you know, who wrote in there's very little dialogue mm. in Shakespeare. It's very declamatory and you you wear your heart on your sleeve. So I'm very I'm very used to that. You know, when I got my first commission for Radio 4, I was asked to write a short story, which is 15 minutes long, and I thought I'll never be able to do that, never, because my stories are two minutes long, three minutes long at the most. I thought, and I almost gave the money back and said, look, I can't do it. <laughs> and then I did do it, and then I got asked to do a 45-minute play, and I went, no, I'm never going to be able to do that, never. But basically, it's lots of short stories joined together. Right. So that, you know, I have done, I have done it. And through doing that work for Radio 4, I have learned a lot about structure and um, and dialogue and, yeah. Although I must say I never structured something beforehand. I, but but you learn, you, you know when a structure is right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it just brings your own style to it, the fact that, you put things together in that way yeah yeah it's it's really interesting to me this thing of of responding to place and responding to to kind of the individual needs of something in the moment rather than having such a big grand idea in your head and and heading it trying to make that perfect so I'm just thinking knee-high going okay we're working outside and so what does that entail of us rather than Again, thinking, I want to write a novel about this. I'm going to sit in, as you maybe said, your garret and and make sure that I'm in this private place where I can create the exact thing that's in my head. And and I really feel like a lot of your work seems to be responding to whatever is going on around whoever's involved. No, I mean, in those early, you know, early kind of knee-high shows you were you know you might write your the most brilliant thing you've ever written in the space but it doesn't serve the story so it's out wow you know and so I'm very used to that I'm very used to often cut my own stuff which doesn't need to be cut (laughs) but I and so I'm very used to that way of working and also knowing that sometimes the writing is a genesis of a scene And then you don't need the writing. Yeah. It, that's that's the craft of kind of theatre is actually what can you what can you tell without loads of exposition? Mm. Um I think I've I think that came in real in real it was really handy when I started to write for radio because um you it, you don't need exposition in theatre because mm. you can see it or you can see the emotion or if you, you know, if you hear a seagull, you know you're by the sea. So when it came to radio writing, even though I was, you know, very unexperienced when I started, I I never fell into that trap of too much exposition, right. which you, you know, you can get with radio, audio. It's like, yeah, because you can't see it. You have to, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think 
it's really easy to get very well there's the classic kill your darlings and them being so darling because it's so easy to get really precious around our idea or our words and what we're putting down and what we've already put down and something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is just the work that goes in before the final product and and I know that I'm re-struggling at the moment with coming to terms with that that okay I don't know what I'm writing yet but that's because every single project that has come into fruition has come through years and years of playing and messing around and random bits that I thought would become something but didn't become something yeah and eventually they feed into this completely different thing down the line but it's just really easy to kind of lose the the faith in the process and just to think oh my gosh everything needs to be part of something yeah 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 I mean what do you what what do you what's your writing process then Polly yeah well I'm that's why I'm really interested in talking to writers about their writing processes because I come to realize more and more how different everybody's is and and what I've noticed about mine is how much it's changed over time so I think I used to get very much inspired by something I might have gone through and then for some reason have this urge to fictionalize it and then there was something I so needed to process within myself that all of the urge to write was just there and I couldn't stop writing until the thing was processed and then it would was simply a matter of going back and I say simply editing which is very painful and hard but then I at some point moved on to getting really interested in research and I'd hear something that I found fascinating and then I would just want to research it and then again that was the drive and sometimes it's something that I really wanted to say or share and it's just changing all the time and at the moment I yeah I like I say I don't have a project on the go and it feels like a very foreign territory to me um but I'm really curious about your process of play because I know you've used boxes is that right to yeah I mean god I'll do anything to actually put off writing you know (laughs) so I've you know the usual tidying the desk and but I also work I all I'll always have a notebook you know I often start with a notebook but they're quite visual and I stick things in it and write yeah uh, then I'm there again they're not diaries I'm I'm not in them you know um I and then I think oh I'll make a scrapbook that'll be a good idea that'll put off you know images and thoughts also Mm. when you work with a collaborative company like Knee High um, or I've worked with dance companies like Seascape or theatre it's it's a really great way of sharing ideas is scrapbooks um yeah uh you know I know um Bill Mitchell did it a lot with with his designs um but they're so they're really and then I would think oh I'd make a box make a box that'll put it off actually writing (laughs) but but actually they are all writing yes Um, yeah and I think that's what you know the writer's block can bring is that actually that you know especially with with young people who are sort of frightened of writing or feel they failed that there's many ways of writing yeah there's scrapbooking there's drawing there's talking there's you know using objects and then you and then you've got some yeah then you've got so even though they are procrastinations they are also writing actually you know making a, a sort of story box is writing to me 
in a way, but then I need to get down to it. Yeah, it's interesting thinking of that approach with the writer's block as a way to kind of get anybody to feel like they can write. And, and I was really struck by it the other day when you had us making a little notebook and a concertina, and I hadn't really thought about the impact that that would have on what I then wrote inside. But I really noticed that actually just creating a different shape to write upon or bringing in different colours or sticking different things. It's its so funny, you know, working for the writer's block, I, I see this being done for people all the time and I see the power and I do it for people in my own workshops. But being in that position of remembering that changing the approach to writing can yeah. create a whole different way of writing and, and a whole different flow of words from a different place was just so wonderful. <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah, I. Yeah, and I know it's like I like I was like really sort of one of my things about um, when uh, children came into the writer's block was that they were to have their own notebook, and it was to be a decent notebook. Yeah. Um, not a flappy, bendy one, and not bits of paper on a clipboard which don't it's just them you know yeah and we assume that you know all households can afford or would have a notebook for their child but we it's a very middle class assumption and that thing of having a really good notebook preferably with a hard back and you give that to a young person and I think it's it little things like that really important I think yeah um, yeah yeah or or to make a lovely handmade book like so you know when I used to do schools workshop we do lots of writing but then we would make one of those little um uh concertina books and then they would choose their best writing to go in it and and then you can display them because they're quite visual and you can stand them up and and there's something Pride, there's something of pride about it uh, yeah so I think I think the two things are you know making and writing and really yeah are something I love anyway yeah no absolutely I mean it's that amalgamation that just actually I, I don't know why we don't always pull the arts together I think in education we can be really taught how every subject sits separately to everything else and and then there's this big grand idea of then you are a writer rather than anything else being able to be part of that. And actually, of course, it's an amalgamation of everything. It's an amalgamation of the stories that go around you, which is the history, and then the art forms that inspire it, and just all of it pulls together. And, yeah, it would be kind of naive, actually, to try and pull one apart. Absolutely. So we're finished talking even though I feel like I could ask you a zillion things about how you end up writing and how your ways to getting words out and they just feel like such interesting and different approaches that actually seem to work for everybody and I think that's part of what makes them so valuable but um just before we do go we've mentioned Nehi a lot here and I just wondered yeah when did you find Nehi and how, how did you walk into that Oh, well, I was quite curious, really. I, I was working um, at a place called the John John Daniel Centre in 
um, on the outskirts of Penzance, which was for adults with um, special needs, kind of learning difficulties. Or, um, phys- yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was um, like a care assistant there, and the, and the staff at the time were hugely creative. Uh, brilliant it was a brilliant place really extraordinary um and I went I think I booked I'd heard about Nehi Theatre and I booked them to come and do a um a mask workshop in the John Daniels Centre and I yeah and I met some of them and, and the and this mask workshop they did was sort of extraordinary and when you put a mask on people you can't see their disability and they it it was yeah uh, extraordinary then I went to see a show of theirs in a primary school with some of the um some of our students from the John Daniel Centre and they'd done they it was and I got to know one of them who who thought that I ought to come and audition for the (laughs) theatre in education um they were doing a show and I went to this kind of wind this old uh, village hall in up in the clay country with no windows um, with this extraordinary group of people. We didn't have Arts Council funding or anything then and somehow I ended up in the theatre and education Gosh. Um, company and while the rest of the company were on a kind of, um, yeah, doing a show called, they were doing a show called Tregeagle, yeah. And I and it was brilliant because it was the time of at the LEA, um, and so we were funded. We went to every school in Cornwall virtually over nine months, doing two shows a day. I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life, wow. and saw the power that theatre and storytelling had on children. And I remember the one theatre company that came to our school in Paul Perrot. I've never forgotten them, and how extraordinary that was we just had them one one theatre company my whole time of being in school Mm. um so I got to know Cornwall really well and schools and it's where I learned all my workshop skills was doing we we used to offer a workshop with our with the shows that we did for infant and juniors I learned all my workshop skills from doing that even though I trained for a teacher for three years um and a lot of drama games are about ideas and they're, they're writing as well, that improv stuff. That's where you come up with ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah, so full cycle again. <laughs> yeah, no, it all feeds back, you know, they all feed back into each other and it's brilliant, really. I've had a very lucky life in that sense of being able to work with, brilliant people and I you know my my true heart is with the writer's block I I think it's such um it's always had great integrity you know a great group of mostly women but um just lovely unegotistical group you know yeah. who yeah like you know yourself and Helen and Amanda and Will and all of this yeah, what a delightful organisation we are. It's all about collaborating, that's what I think. It is, yeah, yeah. I, I We'll end on that. That's It's all about collaboration. <laughs> and thank yeah. you for collaborating <laughs> with me 
again tonight and for having this conversation with me. It's been so nice. Bye. Bye, Polly. Thank you for listening to this season of Words in a Time of Lockdown. Next year, we're going to bring you a brand new podcast. So hit like and subscribe to see when the first episode comes out. Sound and editing from Jimmy Marshall at southwestsonic.com.